something before we get to our, our message, our second message in this Heroes and Villains series. Some of you may know um, Peter and Rita Upredi, and Rochelle was up here. She was leading worship with us this morning. Well, over the last little while, Peter has been going through his studies and credential process to become credential with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and he's been uh, having a group of uh, Nepalese followers, believers, get together. And more and more, we don't see Peter on Sunday mornings. We go, where are you, Peter? Do you not like us anymore? Are you, have, you, have you just given up on your faith? Have you walked away? And, and so to dispel any rumors, I'm going to invite Peter. And is Rita coming too? Or you're more than I Go, Rita. Yeah. <laughs> Peter and Rita are going to come. And uh, they're going to share this morning why we haven't seen them as much and why we probably won't see them very much at all c- c- coming forward. But, you know, we want to we celebrate what God's been doing in their lives and in their hearts. And uh, so I just g- said that we, they could have five, ten minutes here just to share. And they wanted to share that as well as share um, an encouragement for us as a church campus. So thanks, guys. Good morning, guys. Um, hope everyone is having a good time with pancake bre- breakfast. Which I don't want to miss. Even if I don't come to church regularly, I always try to make sure that I can come on Pancake Day. <laughs> um, so my name is Peter Reddy. Um, I we are originally from Nepal. If you don't know that country, it's a small, tiny country, sandwiched between India and China. So we do in both Indian and Chinese kind of thing, uh, culturally, food, uh, dress, of everything. Um, I think back in 2002, we moved from uh, Toronto to Mississauga, and my wife used to go to work on Sunday, and she gave me a job, and me and my daughter, we were uh, asked to find a, find a church. We moved from Australia. So we were looking for a church, and we tried different churches, one church every week, until we, we found a temple. And my daughter, one day, she says, she goes online, and there's a, there's a Mississauga Gospel Temple. Can we go there? I said, no, there's a temple. We don't go to temple. <laughs> But she said, no, Daddy, it's a church. And then I said, okay, let's try it out next week. So ever since we went to that church, the Missaga Gospel Temple, the next week, we found the, the church home, and we fit in there. So we've been uh, attending Portico main campus mainly, and then, and then Milton, when Milton started Milton, uh, since 2002. So that's almost 14 years. Um, so during these 14 years, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful to God that uh, he actually hooked us up with uh, the, the, the great church like this, all pastors. Uh, I'm so grateful to Pastor Doug, even the, the former pastors like uh, who left, uh, Pastor Bob, uh, Pastor Owen, and uh, current Pastor Jeff, uh, Rick, and Heather, and all, all of the pastors. Um, so all these 14 years, uh, I, I, was, um, I was growing in the Lord, and then uh, I was... Um, I was I was feeling a call God has given me. Because he, he, there's a reason why he brought us from Australia. So um, a few years ago, in, I don't know if you guys remember, in, in main campus, uh, Pastor Doug initiated to, to have the, the, the flags, international flags to be installed from each country. So every country, there were a group of people uh, from the community. They, they chipped together, and then they bought a flag. And for me, it was just me and my wife, and there was no, no Nepalese people here. So God really gave me that, that uh, you know, like um, um, uh, conviction that day that even though there, there are 15,000 people living in Toronto and there's no church uh, in Toronto for Nepalese people. So ever since I started having this vision of uh, planting a church and then uh, praise God that back in October 9, uh, 2014, um, we started a small church in Mississauga in, in a taekwondo uh, place. Uh, uh, and then we started meeting there with six people, four adults and two children. We started church. 
And then uh, it was very, like I thought church, church planting was easy, but uh, it wasn't easy um, because uh, we were only two or three people sometime and it was very discouraging and disappointed and I was down most of the time. Um, because I, I realized that, uh, you know, the, like having the vision to, to start a church, plant a church, like carrying that baby in your womb for nine months, it was easy. You can carry and then do your job as well. But after you give birth to a child, after the, the church was bor- born, uh, I had to spend so much time for that. And then I, had to, I almost had to quit my job and then and fo- focus full time on that one. And then there was, a, there was a couch in the church. So I used to go there at 2 o'clock and set up my audio system, everything, and then wait for people of the congregation to arrive. And sometimes I pray, and then I just fall asleep on the couch. And a couple of people later come, and they wake me up. Pastor, pastor, wake up. <laughs> so that's how we started the church. And then praise God that now we are about 20 people regularly we meet. Um, I lost my couch. We got kicked out from that church. <laughs> because uh, we, they say we make too much noise. In the, so um, we, I think we were worshiping God, so we're making noise there. So uh, we started looking for, for a place, and, uh, and thank God that uh, we found a place uh, in Toronto Airport area. It's called uh, Korea, uh, Central Korean Presbyterian Church. It's, it's on 23 Faskin Drive, um, and we meet there regularly. Uh, our church services are English as well as Nepalese because we want to involve the young people as well as we have a lot of visitors. Our church name is TNCF, Toronto Nepalese Christian Fellowship, but it's more and more turning like ANCF, All Nations Christian Fellowship, because there are Korean and Filipino and uh, from Indian background and some all the countries there are people there. And uh, in the process of becoming that, uh, doing what I, I have been doing um, in 2014, I, uh, I started looking into uh, getting the credential from POC, and uh, I got the credential to be, to be pastor. And this is what um, um, I missed for the last 14 years. I, I kept telling God that I was, not, I was uh, inadequate in terms of starting a church because I thought that I didn't have any uh, Bible school education. I hadn't been to any seminary. And I came to a point, and I talked to, I really, literally argued with Jesus. I said, I don't know nothing. How can I do this? And I, I heard that, that loud voice, Holy Spirit, talking to me, saying, good. That's, when I was, that, that's the moment I was waiting for, for you. Because when you know, know nothing, that's when I can use you. I can fill you with my Holy Spirit, and I can direct your path. I can, I can guide you. I can teach you. I can lead you how to plant a church. And then I had no way to, to, to run away at any, anymore, so we started the church. Uh, we uh, got affiliated with PAOC, and then um, we also got the, the charitable status uh, approved by CRA last year, so praise God for that. Now, the reason uh, Pastor Rick mentioned that I'm not here on Sunday is um, I'm, um, I'm, um, I, have, I have the keys. I have to go and open the building. I'm a driver, but I, I go pick up people and drop them off. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a setup guy. I'm a, I'm a tear down guy. I'm a tech guy. I'm an accountant. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Um, I'm a, a website designer, builder, and I'm a pastor too. So I have to do a lot of things pretty much myself. That's how the, if you guys are just planning to ch- uh, plan a church or in the process of doing that, uh, I just want to encourage you that it's not easy, but it's, it's very fulfilling. I'm, I'm so excited, Saturday and Sunday. I can't wait to go to my church and then, you know, like 
to wait for the people. There's no couch to sleep and rest a little bit, but still, I enjoy doing what I'm doing. And I, I would like to ask you guys to pray for us. It's a Toronto Nepalese Christian Fellowship. I've left some visiting cards down there. Um, if you guys want to grab it, there's information about the website and then where we meet and uh, uh, the phone number and email, etc. Um, and if you guys can pray for us, uh, that uh, it'll be great. And even if you can just come visit us sometime, we meet at 3 o'clock, 3 to 5, at 23 Paskin Drive in the Korean Church. Even today, we have a preacher from uh, Myanmar community, Pastor Solomon James. He's coming to preach the gospel to the people. We are expecting a lot of uh, non-believers as well to join us today for the service. So if you guys can pray for us even for today, that would be great. And thank you very much. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Hold, hold here for a minute. I'm going to ask if um, I'm going to ask if members of Peter and Rita's small group would come, and we're going to we're going to pray. And Amanda Amanda's going to come. We have some flowers for you, but we want to yeah. Come on up, guys. Come on up now as you come, and um, we we want to celebrate what they're what they're doing. It, it's it's always hard when you see oh we're we're not going to have church together every every Sunday, but we're one church all over the world, right? <laughs> and uh, we celebrate when God does something in somebody's heart and inspires and, and inspires them and calls them to go. And we just love being a church that partners with people that are obedient and go and follow uh, the call that God has for them. So this morning, what we want to do is we want to stand with you. We want to pray with you and uh, know that it's just, it's, um, it may be TNCF, portico over there, right? <laughs> because we're all, we're all just people that are helping people find their way back to God is what it is. So let's join together and pray, guys. Lord, we thank you for this couple, and we confirm this morning the call that you have on their life and the call to go and reach people who might never otherwise hear the gospel message, hear that Jesus came specifically for them, that died for them. That doesn't matter what, what religion they grew up in. It doesn't matter where, if they even know the name of Jesus, you died for them. And Lord, I pray that you uh, have that message just burning on their hearts day by day and that we would see great things happen as they share that message, as they get into the hearts and lives of people. God, we thank you for their servant's heart and attitude that we've seen here both in our campus as well as we just hear as, as, as Peter goes and sets up and tears down and preaches and drives and does all the things, Lord, for the one reason, to make disciples, to go and fulfill the great commission that you've called us all to. So Lord, uh, our heart is sad for ourselves selfishly, but our heart celebrates for the kingdom and for you because it's a wonderful opportunity to see more people hear about the message of love and the message of Jesus. So Lord, thank you for this opportunity to pray with them and to partner with them. And we just are excited to see what you're going to do moving into the future through your servants, Lord. And we ask your blessing in all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We said we've got lots going on this morning, but we're, these are things we want to celebrate. When people are on the other side of the world telling people about Jesus, when people are uprooting their lives and going to start churches, we want to celebrate these things. So what an exciting morning. Well, we're into week two of our Heroes and Villains series, and if you're taking notes, if, you're, if you've got a kid's pack, your notes are in there. If not, they're in your bulletin. They're also on your app. Intelligence is a very relative thing. It depends on your age. It depends on your culture. It depends on your experience. 
Back in the 1930s, the most intelligent people in our society, we often would say, are doctors, right? We, we, we would say doctors, they've trained, they've studied, they have great intelligence. Well, back in the 1930s, if you had a throat infection, oftentimes you were given cigarettes to help with that throat infection. It might, it might soothe what's going on inside of you. Intelligence is a very relative thing. Sometimes they were, they were t- testing people to have radioactive water. They would give it radioactive water for people to drink to see what that would do to their system because they felt like it had some benefits, like it would improve your, your immune system. We knew that radiation made things grow, so of course radioactive water would make your immune system grow and build up your immunities. That didn't work out so well. <laughs> you, we've, we've all seen the Frankenstein movies, but that's legitimately, there were doctors experimenting with lobotomies, cutting open people's skulls and removing part of their prefrontal cortex where they did reasoning and where they thought the most intelligent people in the world were poisoning us and, and disabling our brains <laughs> and doing all kinds of things because intelligence is a relative thing. Kids in the room, you sometimes have your own perspective on things, right? Girls under, and any girls under the age of 10 in the room, wave at me. Girls under the age of 10. What do you think about boys? What's your opinion? Yeah, look at that face right there. Boy, boys are dirty and smelly and ugly, horrible creatures, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> any girls over the age of 10 in the room? You want <laughs> yeah, some of you may still think girls are smelly and ugly, but, but as my daughter crosses that over 10 to under 10, it causes me deep fear that this may, that, that this may change. Kids in the room, you may feel that there is no limit to the amount of sour soothers, sour soothers that you could take, right? You know, you know the, if you have too many of them, it burns my tongue. It rips. It's like it's bleeding. But kids, you can watch them eat six, seven, eight of those things. You think, what's, what's happening? Intelligence is a relative thing. Teenagers in the room, you're convinced that your parents have no brains at all. They're just completely out to lunch. And young adults, you assume that you could do a job better than the old guy that's been doing it for 30 years and has all the experience and has made all the mistakes that you're currently making as you tell us that we're doing it wrong. But we make, we make all kinds of decisions based on poor information, based on immaturity, based on impulsivity. And as we get into week two of this Heroes versus Villains series, we're going to look at a character in the Bible and we're as, as, as we go through the whole course of the series, we're going to look at villains. We're also going to look at heroes. And this week, we're going to look at Samson, who was a flawed hero from Israel. And on our discussion Sundays, it's not just me speaking, but it's you around the table speaking. If you have no Bible knowledge, that's okay. We don't ask you Bible questions. We ask you personal experience questions. And what we'll do is we'll share in discussion around the table, and then we'll take a few minutes and look at what the Bible has to say about that. So this morning, we're going to have two different discussions as well as the poll question that you've been participating in. But we're going to look at the life of Samson, who was set up to be a hero for the nation. And you may want to read this story with your family this week. It's way too long to read it all. It's four chapters out of the, it's uh, to read it all in the room this morning, but you could read it throughout the course of the week. It's in the book of Judges, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. So maybe your family may want to take the time to go through that, maybe a chapter a day. But Samson, Samson was born when an angel appeared to his mom, and much like Mary in the Christmas story, the angel came and said that you're going to have a son, he's going to be set apart, and Samson specifically was called to set Israel free from the nation of Philistia, who was was, um, fighting against them, who who had them as slaves at different times throughout the course of their history. um, Philistia was where we get the story of David and Goliath. He was a Philistine. This is the same group of people. So when Samson's um, being born, he had this call in his life. You're going to set Israel free 
from the Philistines. And God said, I will honor you, Samson, as a leader and a judge of Israel, as long as you remain faithful to me in doing these things. He said, I'm going to call you to be a Nazarite. And you might see this word in the story. And a Nazarite code was this. You were never cut your hair. You were never to drink alcohol. And you were never to come in contact with ceremonial unclean things. And like I said, you might want to read those four chapters, the whole story for yourselves. But this morning, we're going to take a look at a snapshot of a a hero who fell short of his calling because he made some immature decisions that not only affected him, but affected his family as well as his country. So the first question you want to have is this, and you're going to share around your tables, give you two or three minutes to talk about this. Share with your table about a choice that you made when you were younger that you would not have made now that you are wiser. I'm not going to say older. I'm just going to say wiser. A choice that you, would, that you made when you were younger that looking back, now that you're wiser, you would not have made. So it doesn't matter how old you are. Kids, if you're 10, share about a choice you made when you were five. Adults, if you're more than 10, share about a choice you made when you were a little bit not as much as 10. And we'll give you uh, three or four minutes to share together, and then we'll come back and we'll read the story in Judges 16. So this morning, we're going to look into one specific instance, and hopefully now everybody's thoroughly embarrassed about the choices that they made and the choices that they shared. We're going to look at the story of Samson and Delilah, and Samson made a horribly immature decision in this story. Now, many of us would have heard a reference. We would know, oh, Samson and Delilah, isn't he the guy that kind of fell fell prey to her womanly ways or something like that. But Amanda's going to read a a large portion of the story, verses uh, 4 through 21 in the book of Judges uh, chapter, chapter 16, if you, if, if you do want to follow along. But if not, you can just listen to the story, and then we'll come back and look at unrestrained immaturity, both in Samson's life and maybe in our own lives as well. So there's a, a spoiler alert, because Rick said that if you haven't read it, you should read the other chapters first. But we're going to read kind of the end part of the story. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how can you be tied up and subdued? She didn't even try to trick him with the question. (laughs) Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried... I'll come as weak, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven thresh cords that had not been dried. She tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the cords as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, Until now you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head and wove them into the fabric and tightened it with a pin. 
Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't even confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me. And haven't I told the secret of your great strength? With such a nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said. Because I have a Nazarite dedicated to God, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw, saw that he had told her everything, she sent rule, word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called to Samson, The Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free, because he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They sent him to grinding grain in the prison. How dumb do you have to be to have that work four times on you? <laughs> what, was, what was she doing? What was his state of mind? Yeah, a whole bunch of questions come to mind. But the, the thought we're going to look at this morning for a few moments is unrestrained immaturity is the way that we're characterizing it across the campuses this morning. That there's, because there's nothing wrong with immaturity. Maturity is only gained with age. It's only gained with experience. In fact, most of our maturity was gained through failure, right? We, when, we, when we made a mistake, we became mature and we wouldn't make that mistake again, hopefully. But unrestrained immaturity is a matter of lacking self-awareness. It's, it's forgetting that we have blind spots. It's having the inability to learn. He did that four times consecutively and didn't figure out that, that maybe she might be telling some other people the things that she's telling, that he's telling her. He completely lacked restraint when it came to his maturity. So unrestrained immaturity, as we're going to define it this morning, is it's being immature yet acting as if you're fully mature. And Samson was set up to accomplish amazing things. He, he, was, he was called by God. He was gifted by God. He was given strength that nobody else had. He was given favor that nobody else had. Yet he was totally unaware of his shortcomings in terms of his decision-making, and that's unrestrained immaturity. It'd be like operating in this world, believing that the world was still flat, or operating on a computer believing that Android was still superior to Apple or something like that. Something crazy. Like. <laughs> it's waiting for you. <laughs> so let's look at Samson's immature choices that he made that caused him grief along the way of becoming a hero. The first thing is this. Unrestrained immaturity, it affects other people. We need to keep this in mind. Samson was given great strength for the sole purpose. He had one purpose that God set him apart for. It was to take on the Philistines. Yet if you read the story from chapter 13, he fell in love and married a Philistine woman at the beginning of this story. We believe that Delilah was Philistine. If at the very least she was favorable to the Philistine, she had relationships with the leaders of the Philistine. And now he's at her house having an affair 
and allowing her to, dis- to discover the secret of his power and then take it away from him. That's what we read in Judges 16 and 21 when she shaved his head. He was completely blinded <laughs> by love or infatuation or something. And we sometimes in our immaturity, we think the heart wants what it wants, right? There's nothing that we can do to stop love. You can't fight it. But actually, that's an immature ideology. We, we, we know that love, and it begins as hormones as teenagers, but we grow older and we discover that love is much more than a feeling. It's a choice. It's action. It's dedication. It's not something that's completely unrestrained. But when we allow it to become unrestrained, it begins to affect other people. And Samson's lustful immaturity completely railroaded. All the good that Samson had done and was called to do is completely gone because he decides, you know what, I can't fight this. This is just my heart wants what it wants and I saw this woman and now I see this woman and I want both of them. And it caused him great failure. God asked Samson, he said, set yourself apart. Don't fall into the traps that other people have. Yeah, this second time he falls in love with someone that God had called the Jews to be separate from. You have to wonder what would have been different in Samson's life if he had surrounded himself with nobody other than the people that God had given him, nobody other than people that were encouraging him to do the right thing, nobody other than people that were building him up, that would have been maybe even able to speak to his immaturity. This is why we do small groups as a church. We know we're interacting with all kinds of different people. God isn't calling us now to set ourselves apart and say, go hide out in the church until Jesus comes back. He doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to go and share the message, be out in the world. But why we have a small group that we become accountable to, that that know us, is because there might be a time when when we're having something that comes up in our life and we're having to make a decision, and then we have some people around us that could go, you know what? I've learned from my mistake. Let me share with you where I learned. Or I've seen this pattern in your life. What have you thought about this? This is why we have this kind of accountability in small groups. Paul wrote this to the church in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. He said, don't be fooled by those who say such things. Bad company for bad company corrupts good character. We can be set apart. We can say, no, I'm on this journey. I'm trying to live for faith. I'm trying to do what God's called me to do. But when we, never, when we surround ourselves with people that may lead us into a place we don't want to go, it can corrupt our character. And we all have a right to live a life that says, I just need to learn it for myself, right? <laughs> have anybody ever thought, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever thought that? I need to do things the hard way. I need to learn it for myself. Don't tell me that I don't have the ability to test this out. What I think Samson's life should challenge us to consider is that is the right that I have to learn from my mistakes, is that more important than the consequences my mistakes may cause for my family? Is that right more important than the consequences it may cause for my work, for my business? Think back to the examples that you shared at your table just a few moments ago when you said, yeah, I made this mistake when I was younger. I wouldn't do it again. Did it affect you or did it affect you and others as well? See, most of us are okay with taking it on the chin for ourselves, but we forget that our immature choices sometimes affect those people that we love and we say, no, I want to protect these people. So let's go a little deeper into Samson's story. How do we go about making the decision about, so where do we draw the lines on making good decisions and immaturity? And before we see how Samson went about this and see what the Bible says, I want you to have another discussion with your table. And our, our second question is this. Are you a person that sees things as everything is black and white, everything is right or wrong, 
or do you tend to see, you know, there's some gray area, there's, there's room for flexibility. Just, just go around your table and say, you know, I'm a black or white, right or wrong person. No, I'm somebody that sees that there's room for, there's, there's kind of room for discussion on, on a lot of these issues. Go ahead. I'm hearing from a lot of our kids' tables, they're, they're quite convinced that mom and dad are all black and white. There's no, there's no room for gray. They never let me get away with anything. Unrestrained immaturity, our second thought is this, is that it flirts with danger. That too many people, we get caught up living a life that says, how close can I get to the line without it actually being wrong, (laughs) as opposed to saying, how far away can I stay from the line so that I stay over in the right? We say, how many kilometers can I speed before it becomes a ticketable offense? You, you play this game, right? Like, like the cop is on the highway, the cop is driving 105, so you're like, I could go at least 112, and there's no way he's knocking me down for a ticket. Or maybe 109, because you know that that 10 kilometers is like the first tipping. We play that. We, we, we don't say, what's the most right thing to do? What's, what can I do? What can I get away with? Or maybe a little more, a little more that we say, the boss never really notices or says anything if I'm five minutes late for work or if I leave 10 minutes. Is anybody get really going to notice if I just slip out? It's a long weekend on a Friday. Nobody's here. It's 1.30. Goodbye. I'm gone. <laughs> or then in Samson's case, something a little even more serious, when does this relationship become inappropriate? Why do we want to push to the line and find the gray area that's still acceptable and not punishable as opposed to say, hey, what's the most right thing that I can do? And just not even get into that concept of flirting, playing around with danger. Samson, if you read his story this week, he did this all the time. He wasn't supposed to come in contact with anything that was unceremonially clean, including dead things. He ate honey from a beehive that was in the carcass of a lion. Then, and then he made a riddle out of it, and then he gambled on that. And then he went out and he was... He killed a whole bunch of Philistines because he was angry out of vengeance, but he maybe put that as to, he justified it by saying, well, God's called me to get rid of the Philistines anyway, so I'll I'll burn these people's fields down and kill them, but I'm really doing what God's called me to do. And then he even reveals his secret vow to God, to Delilah, flirting with danger all the time. We we read that in Judges 16 and 17 when he told her. So he told her everything. (laughs) No razor's been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. I don't think Samson was doing a whole lot of thinking in that moment. Like, at what point do you think Samson knew that she was going to sell him out? Because if he had done it the first time, maybe the first time he didn't know. Maybe the second time he thought, well, she, we're, we're building something here. We're building trust. This is like a trust fall. This is a trust exercise. After the third time to me, he would have had to know. He, w- he would have known that she was going to sell him out, but he was willing to flirt with that danger. Who knows why? Who, who knows what was, the draw, what was the draw for him? But he was not doing enough thinking in that moment. And in his immaturity, he blurred the line of what he felt was right and what he could do. His unrestrained immaturity got him burned. Can I read you two things that Paul wrote out of the New Testament about these things, about finding the gray area, what's right or wrong? 2 Timothy 2 and 22 says this, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 22 is really basic. Reject every kind of evil. Another translation says, even avoid the appearance of any kind of evil or wrongdoing. And it's not that 
in some things we can't find a gray area. So if you were a person that said, yeah, I'm a gray area person, okay, there are some times when we know, hey, it's, it's good to maybe not see things as always black or white. When it comes to our faith and immaturity, we don't want to flirt with danger. We don't want to get caught in that gray area. We want to find what's the most right thing I can do, the righteous thing, and I want to be on that side. Okay, last one this morning. Unrestrained immaturity. The reason why this is important for us is because it diminishes our capacity. So the story of Samson is a, a story of a hero who never quite made it. He ends his life chained, if you read it right all the way through, he's chained to poles in the public square with his eyes gouged out. He was beaten. He was ready to be executed. And here's the only thing that he has left to pray. We read this in Judges 16 and 30. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He was called to deliver Israel from the Philistines. His prayer is this, let me die with them. And then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. And thus he killed many more than he, when he died than when he lived. God set him apart and said, I'm going to use you. You're going to free the whole country. He ends up dying, killing off some of them because of his immature decisions. He could have been so much more than he, if he had recognized his blind spots and restrained his immaturity. So we had this poll that was up earlier, and Stuart's going to put the poll on there. Which of these well-known people fell shortest from the potential capacity because of an unrestrained, immature choice? We had Lance Armstrong, who was, who was one of the greatest bike racers of all time, starting a cancer foundation that's gone worldwide, lived strong, but decided when he got caught cheating, he was going to swear up and down that, no, I, was, I wasn't cheating at all. I would never have doped. I, this is all legitimate. And he lost everything. He lost his business. He lost his credibility. He lost everything because he wouldn't admit that, yeah, I got caught in doing what... We know that there... If you watch any kind of sport, you know that sometimes they take substances, right? <laughs> whether, it's, whether it's running, football, cycling, they do that. He had a chance to say, I got caught. Now I'm going to start working on it again. He couldn't do it. He's lost everything. We had Bill Clinton, one of the leaders of the greatest nations in, in their own mind, one of the greatest nations in the world. We can say one of, one of the pow- most powerful nation, if not the most powerful nation in the world, gets caught cheating on his marriage and gets caught cheating on his life and, and his legacy completely tarnished because of some immature choices. And then we have our winner this morning, Justin Bieber, just by a little bet. <laughs> Justin Bieber with obviously a very talented individual, was a kid that got f- discovered playing songs on YouTube, has now toured worldwide, made movies, made songs, writes, his, writes some of his own music, which is very uh, uncommon in, in today's society. Great talent, great potential, yet he's caught speeding on um, drag racing and running down, running through gates and getting arrested in multiple countries is now his claim to fame. We see great leaders in the Bible who share the same story. Moses, the person who brought the whole nation of Israel out of Egypt, never entered the promised land that God had called him to do because he got angry and he acted out of frustration. David, the greatest king ever in Israel's history, had a son die and then had a promise that his family would always have infighting because he had an affair, because he couldn't restrain his, because he couldn't restrain his immaturity as well unrestrained immaturity left in our lives. It doesn't matter who we are. We can be a great leader. We can be just somebody that's trying to live life day by day to do our best. When we leave it alone in our lives, it leaves us short of the mark. It leaves us short of achieving success that we've been called to, that we've been set up for. 
And before we leave this long weekend, I just want us to consider one or two thoughts for a moment of self-reflection. Is there any area in our own life where if we were honest, we would have to say, you know what? I'm making an immature decision right now. I'm doing something that I know better. I've seen the mistakes of my peers, of my parents, or I may just know better. But today I'm making an immature choice because it feels good right now. More importantly, would you be willing to submit that area to Christ's leadership this morning and say, you know, even though it may be difficult, even though it's something that I've been doing, I am saying, God, that's not okay for me anymore. Just because I see other people doing it, just because it feels good, that's not how I'm going to govern my life. I don't, want allow, I don't want to allow immaturity to be the mark on my life. I want to allow Christ's leadership and Christ's spirit and biblical righteousness to be the mark on my life. Samson was a man that got too close to the line and he forgot to build a good support around him. And these Sundays, um, we want to model, when, when we get together like this, we're even modeling group and accountability that we would have in our growth groups, in, in, our, in, our, in our home groups. And I don't know if you know this, but we've got five groups that meet together in Milton um, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis just to talk about the stuff that we hear on Sundays and then to dig a little bit deeper and, and flesh it out a little bit more. We share life together. We share fun together. We have a whole children's ministry happening at our, at our uh, growth group. There's 12 of them. Our, our children's ministry is called the trampoline out back while they, <laughs> while they play and while, and, while, and while we get together to discuss what we read on Sundays. But if you'd be interested, maybe the step for you this morning, you're like, no, I just need... I just need to get involved with a group of people that, that, are doing, that are having these discussions, that are journeying through life together, that are looking for what righteousness looks like. If you're a, a small group, if you're in a small group this morning, just quickly slip up your hand so people around the table can see. So if you're in a small group, you host a small group. So if, if you are somebody that may be looking to connect, just have a discussion with somebody around your table and we'll make sure that you can, go, or you can send me an email and we can connect you with a group. It's a great step towards becoming the hero that we were created to be and submitting our life to Christ's leadership. Let's pray as we close. Lord, thank you this morning for a time just to get together and to read the Bible, to have discussion around tables, but to really look closely at what it looks like to follow you. God, I don't want to be like Samson, somebody that was called and gifted for great things, yet fell short because of inability to see around him, to see the traps that were there, to not have somebody check him and be an accountability for him and just really act out of an unrestrained, immature heart. God, help me to always be submitted to leadership, to submitted to authority, to submitted to just accountability from somebody else. God, I want to achieve the things that you've called me to do. And Father, that's our collective prayer this morning. We thank you so much, God, for a church that that um, is devoted to this for a church that, as we've already celebrated this morning, that is devoted not only to seeing that in our own lives, but in all different areas of the world, whether it be in Toronto, whether it be in Milton, whether it be in Tanzania. Lord, you've called us to go and to share this message and to figure out how to do our best to honor you with our lives. Thank you for a great morning that we were here and that we were together. So we ask that you would go with us all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before you go this morning... Larissa's going to come. Larissa's one of our, our church members. She has been involved in a ministry um, called Young Life. I don't know if you've ever heard of Young Life. And there's something exciting happening in Milton this week. So we wanted to make you aware of it because you or someone in your family or someone in your network may want to be a part of it as you go. So once you're welcome, Larissa, she comes and she's going to share and she's got that mic there.
Good morning, everybody. So um, like Rick said, there's this uh, Christian group called Young Life. Um, and I first heard about it because I have a younger brother who was in high school four years ago or something like that. Um, and, and he started kind of just meeting up with this group of people um, who were kind of trying to get involved in his school. They weren't affiliated with like any specific church. They were just people who really wanted to get to know some some youth whether they were christian or not and then kind of just make their way into their lives and just become someone they could trust and then through this really cool um just thing that they have this whole program um they meet with christians and non-christian teenagers and kind of start to introduce jesus into their life um and i know that for my little brother he was he grew up in a christian home just like me but he kind of at the end of his high school career was going through some rough stuff um there was actually like a suicide in his uh school but this group being a part of it really just changed his whole perspective so it's it's definitely a group that i've seen the work that they've done and i really believe in them um and and they were working in mississauga oakville all these places nearby but they haven't come to milton yet and they're really interested in coming um to milton and just getting to know the milton um people who live here and then see if there's any interest in starting something like that in the high schools in milton that are here um so they have an information night this tuesday all it is is an information night. Um, they just want to kind of get to know the people who live here and if there's any interest in, in starting a Young Life program in Milton. Um, so they would give you all the information about what Young Life is, more than what I can do. And um, and then they would just kind of put out feelers to see if, if there's any interest because um, they don't want to come to a place where they're not going to have um, a, a big group behind them kind of um, being with them in this journey that they're trying to take. Like, they don't want to do this on their own. They do want to have people who are from Milton helping them out, who have a heart for kids just like they do. Um, so it's this Tuesday, and it is, I have all the information, at Hawthorne Cafe. Um, and so if you want any information on this, we've got little um, invitation cards. If you want to grab one for someone you know who might have a heart for teenagers and, and they might be interested in going, just find me or email Rick because we have a digital copy of this as well. And again, it's this Tuesday at 7.45 p.m. So if there's any interest, just come and find me after or email Rick or whatever you feel like doing and grab one of these and you can check it out. Thanks. Thanks so much, Sarissa. All right, thanks so much for being along with us this morning. On your way out, make sure you stop, get a 5K form, Make a donation to the MCRC, or get, if, you're, if you were new with us the, this week, we'd love to have you to stop and fill out a Connect card on your way out. Just give us your information, your email, or phone number. Somebody will give you a call this week, and we'll just, if you wanted to be aware of what's happening uh, with Portico going forward, then we'd love to have a record of your visit with us this morning. Thanks so much. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday morning at 1010, and we'll st- there'll be no pancakes, but Pastor Heather will be back, so that'll be a good thing. So <laughs> we'll see you at 1010.